The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is Calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California Coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now on to the show. Some may call it racing dumb, but the Pace Line calls it racing stupid with pride, enjoying the fact that I was not going to let this group of two people catch me, that I was faster than two guys uh, working together. Smart racing tactics? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I was loving it. A lesson from Fatty on losing early and a PS on the DK200. In 2006, our first year, we had 34 riders and everyone received a welcome home. Uh, we had over 2,000 riders. Uh, everyone received a welcome home. As, uh, we just feel it's the right thing to do. It is the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, and we are at show 72. I'm Fatty, I'm back, and I'm with the two guys in this podcast who actually know what they're talking about, Hottie and Patrick. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm doing good. Wait, now, come on, you have credentials here. This is uh, <laughs> this is uh, an even three-way thing going here. You, you belong here now. You can miss a few shows, that's okay, but... Your absence I, does not lessen your uh, your importance to the show. I feel important. Although, I'm going to tell you guys, the customer reviews seem to be a competition to slam me in uh, from, uh, from iTunes. Here's the most recent customer review of the Pace Line. The title of this is, More of the Other Guy, and this is by Utah slash 2013. Just like my diet, a little fatty goes a long way but i actually have news for that guy the more fat you eat the better um so take that <laughs> so this means he's not on the butter diet you know the i i, I don't know about butter i mean i sure I, I i like everyone i'm more than happy to from time to time stick a stick of butter in a tub of peanut butter and you know have a snack but <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, uh, you know, eggs and avocados, man. You know how it is for me. Mm. I'm 156 pounds right now, by the way, guys. I hate you. I am the lightest I have I been mean, just, since just I was a, a teenager. Oh, <laughs> it's in a purely rhetorical way, except for the hit I've taken out on you. <laughs> I, uh, I have been racing. Um, I raced all last weekend, and I mean that quite literally. Um, have you guys... I no, I, this is a stupid question. Have you guys heard of the Vision Relay? Have I ever mentioned that before? It used to be called the Rockwell Relay, and I just came back from that. And it is my favorite race of the year. It continues to be in spite of the fact that it just destroys me. So do, I've been waiting for this event almost as much as you have. <laughs> I, you know, I, I haven't been writing 
for quite a while uh, writing, but I have I have a good story that I would like to get written and put up on Red Kite Prayer to just you know sort of end my writing hiatus. But um, I, would it be helpful for me to sort of give a quick description of what the vision relay is? Or do, do we well, do we yeah. think everyone knows what that is? Just you know, hit the basics, and then let's get on with, uh, with just what what went right or wrong or both. All right. So the vision relay, formerly known as the Rockwell relay, is a road biking relay from Moab, Utah, to St. George, Utah. It is five hundred and thirty-ish miles long. And you do it all at once, meaning that it is not a stage race per se in that you don't get to sleep overnight anywhere. You do it, you know, beginning to end, you know, between 24 and 36 hours is how long it takes most people. And when you are not racing your leg of the race, each, each leg of which is around 42 55 miles long, just depending on, you know, the leg distance, then you are in the, uh, the team vehicle crewing for whoever is racing. So you get an opportunity to do everything that is awesome about racing. As far as I'm concerned, you, you are racing and then you are recovering and spectating, and then you are driving and then you are crewing and getting mix and food ready for whoever is out there. And then you're racing again. Everyone races three times, uh, depending on which, uh, which team member you are, one, two, three, or four. You're racing between 120 and 160 miles over the course of you know, you know, 24 to 36 hours, just depending on how fast you are. Uh, I've been in a co-ed team for each of the last six years. Um, I think I've uh, my team has either won the co-ed division or taken third in the co-ed division each of those six years now. Um, and this year, you know, I'm not. I'm I, rather than hold you in suspense. I'm going to tell you that this is one of the years we took third, and I learned the value of losing early this year. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. whoa. Okay. How oh, does, back up. You can't really lose until the event is over. I mean, cause that's the admonition that coaches always give their athletes is not to give up, you know, don't ever give up race until the end. Cause you never mm-hmm. really know what's going to happen. And so, uh, how do you lose early? So it, it, when there is a fierce headwind, coming at you for 30 hours you can lose in five seconds it is almost truly that easy so in our first leg we have a fast kid about 23 years old actually broke away and was leading the entire race including uh, all the men's teams just out there just killing it um he's a lightweight kid though and when the climbing ended toward the end of the of the le- of the of the leg, he got pulled back in. So he finishes more or less with the bunch. Our first woman goes out, and she is with the bunch, and she is doing great. She's new to racing, and a five second gap opens up, 
and suddenly it is her versus this pack of five people and a fierce, fierce headwind and 15 minutes opens up in the next two hours. Just boom. It is, you know, she never had, she never had a prayer as strong as she is of staying with that group of five, you know, you know two in two women and three guys against her. Um, so by the time I went out, I was alone as well. Uh, you know, it, it was the fast people, us, and then the rest of the pack. And that gap, it just, imagine it's, you know, this, uh, uh, Imagine this slinky just stretching out over the course of a, of 24 to 30 hours, getting longer and longer. The pack ahead in the front, then us, and then this other group. Uh, and I, it, it, I kind of, uh, you know, it's in a way. I mean, that five seconds, in a way, you know, that was that was the game for us. And I had the best time I have ever had in this race. Things are stressful at home right now. And when I race, I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself. When I started my first leg, there was a 15-minute gap. I was racing solo into a headwind. I had no pressure whatsoever. I knew I wasn't going to uh, catch that catch that group. And so, yeah, I put my head down and I PR'd my section. I've done that section before in spite of the headwind. And I kept my heart rate between 158 and 168 for uh, about an hour and a half. And yeah, I, I mean, I put down a time that I am super proud of, but it didn't matter. Those guys still put more time on me. I think they put another 10 minutes on me. Um, and if I would have sat up there, you know, there are people who were probably 15 minutes behind me, um, maybe, well, no, actually there were a couple of guys who were just a minute behind me. I just was racing dumb and I was taking pride in racing dumb. If I would have sat up, maybe I could have worked with those guys, but I was hell bent on a time trial (laughs) and I was like actually kind of racing stupid with pride, enjoying the fact that I was not going to let this group of two people catch me, that I was faster than two guys uh, working together. Smart racing tactics? Absolutely not. (laughs) But I was loving it. Isn't the point of the race to to time trial a thing? No, no. The point, you can absolutely work together and should work together. I was not uh, I, I I was not living the spirit of any particular rule. I was truly racing dumb. Um, I just wanted to see if I could, you know, keep if if I could outrace these two guys. So, I, I have no I have no defense other than sometimes it's kind of fun to race dumb. Mm-hmm. So do all the teams start together? Is it a mass start? Uh, there are uh, a couple of waves. There is a non-competitive division for this race where if you want to just go out and have fun and maybe even not necessarily ride every leg of the race, you start at about 7 a.m. Not, not about, you start at 7 a.m. And, uh, and you begin then. The competitive division starts at 9 a.m., two hours later. And yes, that is, that is a mass start. And that actually included this year a team um, where the third person was none other but Dave Zabriskie. Oops. 
Um, oh, I, good grief. I did not hold his wheel. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I did, however, and, and this is uh, another uh, kind of cool high point for me. I recognized him at the, at the exchange for the second leg of the race. And I, uh, you know, I opened my arms up as if we were going to hug and he smiled and he walked over and he chest bumped me. I got chest bumped by Dave Zabriskie. All right. Well, this would be where you can start. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And I Um, I had to jump to do this, of course, because he's about a foot taller (laughs) than I am. <laughs> now I wish we had video of it. Oh, me too. Me too. But uh I understand that he uh also more or less TT'd that first leg and set I believe a new course record uh <laughs> in spite of a pretty brutal headwind. Mm. So uh no big surprise. Amazing racer, amazing race. Just had a great time. Yep. You know, about it. Temperatures uh, range between 40 degrees at night to about 100 degrees during the day. Fierce headwind the whole way. I mean, it was harsh conditions, but oh, just so beautiful. I love this race. Wow. It does not sound like an event that I would want to do at all, ever, in any form. How about you, Hottie? No, if you have a spot on your, let me know. It sounds like you guys get it grouped up pretty well, but that sounds like that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I love the team spirit of it. I love the mm-hmm. fact that you can't just ride and then rest. You have to you know, stay alert, help your teammates, drive maybe, do whatever. Uh, I like the yep. tactics. I mean, TT tactics. That's so cool. Who, where, where does that happen? That never happens. TT's all the, that's why I asked, you know, are you riding so? Is there a mass start? How does that thing work? I mean, I think all that decision-making is pretty cool, pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, I, I'd be down with that. Sure. Oh, we ought to put together a pace line team. No, no. That's why it's called no. the pace line. Um, We've got the right name. Uh, unless I can send someone in my place, a, a surrogate. A pace line surrogate. Pace line proxy. Why not? Why not? We'll start taking applications. They can apply in their reviews of us, in which they give you grief for... Um, well, whatever it is they want to give you grief for this time. <laughs> so uh, let me just finish up my story with this, that we did take third place in, and so still on the podium and still in the money. Uh, and there was a pretty decent purse for third place. Our team took uh, $300, money. which is, you know, not half bad for, you know, for a not that well-known race. Um and I should also I should thank my sponsor, uh, SBR Cycles, which provided us a van and jerseys, and that's no small thing. Nope. So mm-hmm. it was nice. To, it was nice to have and uh, good to, uh, good to ride for a team. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. You know, in terms of your team's overall time, how did that stack up against other previous teams of yours? Um, it was a little bit slower than most because, uh, or uh, slower than some and faster than some. Uh, this was a good fast time for a headwind year. Wind makes all the difference in this race. There's you know 30,000 plus feet of climbing, and a lot of miles that are going to be that are going to be slow no matter what. But if you have a tailwind on a leg, it can change your your time. Uh, drastically. If you are with a group, it can change your time drastically. And I should point out that uh, teams one and two were actually a single uh, coherent team that signed up together 
in order to race together so that they could, you know, so they always would have two people on the road and never would have to ride out solo, which is smart, you know, a smart strategy and a good way to do it if you can, a very popular way to do the race. We've always been kind of bullheaded and have always gone out as a solo team, just one team, and have just made alliances of opportunity, as I like to call them, um, this year. Uh, a team, the team that beat us, or the teams that beat us, I should say, uh, they were well ordered. They were well prepared. They knew how to race with each other, and they did a great job of uh, putting together a fast, solid race. So kudos to them that uh, and their win. I'm blanking on their names. It was the name of one of the racers' grandparents who recently passed away. So. Um, so, I mean, a nice tribute to, uh, to his grandparents, a very cool, very cool way to name a team. Um, apologies for not remembering who that is, but look it up. Uh, anyway, visionrelay.com worth checking out for maybe 2018. It's my favorite race. Very cool. Well, it's nice to hear that you, you know, got something valuable out of the experience, even if it wasn't, you know, what you typically, uh, strive for there. Yeah, and I uh, I feel like my at least my first leg in particular, I was faster than I have ever been in spite of a headwind, in spite of riding it solo. I think it says good things about my fitness, and so I should also send out kudos to Jonathan Vodders, who has done a pretty fantastic job of training me. I feel like I'm I, you know in in spite of the fact that I somehow managed to age a year since last year, I'm a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And most guys over 50 can't say that. Yeah, 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 very much. Neat trick. Now, I want to hear, you. Uh, your sponsor gave you a vehicle to use for this. What were you using? <laughs> I will tell you all about that when we get to the Paceline Picks. How about that? Oh, okay. Okay, well, that, that reveals something about how much you liked it. So. <laughs> oh, it does. Right. It does. Well, what do you say we take a quick break and then... We'll get on to more Dirty Kanza. And that's up next on The Pace Line. Today we're coming to you from beautiful Moab, Utah for the Rockwell Relay Race. That's right, a 516 mile trek from Moab to St. George on some of the most beautiful terrain you will ever see. been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, 
If one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, segment two, Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty, we're back with you now, and I understand that you might have done a little bit of racing on the dirt roads while I was away, Patrick. Well, I rode as hard as I could. I wouldn't call it racing. The half pint at Dirty Cans, the 100-mile event, is considered a ride. The race is the 200. I didn't do the 200, so technically I was not racing. I'm okay with that. I am, Hmm. however, uh, somewhat amazed to note that I would now like to race that event. Uh, How we got to that point, I just don't even know. (laughs) So maybe next year. And, you know, I that is a race that used to hold so little interest to me. And just hearing so many people say such good things about it. just the the amazing goodwill that seems to circle around that event uh, may be the best advertisement it could ever have. So absolutely, I understand you you talked with the organizers. Yeah, so I you know after having experienced the event and you know barely getting to see those guys while I was there, they were both so busy. But um, I wanted to do a follow up with Jim Cummins and Leland Danes just to kind of you know, get a download on, you know, some of my impressions and, you know, learn a little bit more about some of, of their motivations with regards to certain details of the event. So I'm here with Leland Danes and Jim Cummins of Dirty Kanza. And it sounds like we've all had a chance to get some sleep and recover some since the event. How are you guys doing? Well, yeah, uh, trying to get rested up. It's an endurance event for Jim and I as well, and all all involved in putting it on. Yeah, I always I always figure it's a two week recovery process with uh, trying to catch up on sleep and just trying to get everything picked up and cleaned up and washed and dried and put away. But we're we're getting there. <laughs> Very cool. So now that you've had a chance to do uh, some decompression and recovery and whatnot, I'm curious. So, how many people finished the 200 this year? We had uh, 982 finisher. No, excuse me, 982 started, okay. uh, and 85% of that finished. Okay. Now, of the 15% who finished, how many of those just flat out didn't finish versus like came across the line after 3 a.m.? To our knowledge, we had nobody out there after the. Uh, cut off at the finish line. So the last person on course came in under the uh, 3 a.m. cutoff by less than a minute. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, actually, yes, we got a comment from him uh, in response to one of our posts. He sounded pretty stoked. Yeah. But yeah, that was a pretty amazing experience. Uh, we, we had about two dozen people there still at 3 a.m. and uh, uh, we knew they were coming. We, in fact, we were uh, tracking them. One, one, one of the gals, uh, one of the two riders was, was a lady whose husband was there and was tracking her. And and uh, the excitement was uh, building with uh, every tick of the clock. And 
yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing to see them come in and, and beat that cutoff time. Now, how is it you track people out on the course like that late? Well, I think she just had, uh, was he just tracking her with the, the yeah, phone? Yeah, I know. You, there are apps like Find Friends or Garmin uh, can, might have a Garmin Live Tracker if they have a newer Garmin device. Right, right. <clears throat> okay, very cool. Uh, you know, one of the questions I had um, in, you know, listening to the updates uh, as the leaders were coming in, you know, uh, I wasn't sure, you know, who was in the lead, but we knew somebody was off the front, right? Um, wasn't entirely clear about how many were kind of comprising the lead group. Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, uh, have you guys looked at having a motorcycle or somebody kind of shadowing that and, and giving more in the way of updates? You know, that's something, Pat, it's a great question. And it's something that we've, uh, struggled with and, and discussed at length, you know, as he, throughout the years. Um, it, it's kind of a balancing act that we're trying to maintain here. Uh, you know, trying to, to have support out there for the riders, mm -hmm. uh, for their safety, and, and then just tracking the race. But at the same time, trying to provide for every participant this opportunity to get out there in the middle of nowhere and to be self-supported and to rely on themselves, uh, you know, to get from point A to point B and to not tarnish that experience with uh, too much support. So, um, yeah, I, I anticipate that we'll probably do something a little bit different next year and maybe try to, uh, to better um, that situation so that we do have a little bit better handle of what's happening at the pointy end of the stick. Um, but it's, it's for that reason that we, we don't have more of that going on out there. Is, is that's, that's the experience that we're trying to protect and to, and to provide for each participant, and, and including those that are out there off, off the front. Sure, sure. No, I get that. And I, I certainly respect your, your desire to uh, to stick with that urge, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. it was yeah. a remarkable experience. We're trying to figure out and trying to, to uh, you know, just improve every year. We, we learn each year and we, we tweak things. And uh, uh, we do see that as some as one area where we could uh, uh, improve on, tweak, tweak a little bit. Well, as you're aware, uh, Patrick, that we're not alone in trying to address that. The whole world of professional cycling is trying to figure out what to do with the motos and <laughs> how sure. to have and where to have them. And, and yeah. I think our event provides some unique challenges. So it is something that we need to be very sensitive about and, and very diligent in our thought process on how that's going to be implemented, if at all. Sure, sure. No, that's, that's absolutely understandable. Uh, you know, I get the desire to not... Uh, as you said, tarnish or, or otherwise, you know, uh, uh, you know, in any way lower that that experience of being out there by yourself. And it's it's you and that white gravel, uh, or at least this year it was pretty whitish. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, quite the experience. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's a real testament to to the event itself, the way even with, you know, pretty minimal updates there were people too deep lined up all the way down the chute, you know, ready to see whoever came in. Um, absolutely remarkable. 
you know, quite the crowd there. Uh, Town of Emporia really gets behind this event in, uh, to the extent that just, uh, it's just really amazing. Uh, to, I mean, people who have never ridden a bicycle or who haven't ridden a bicycle since they were quite young, uh, come out and support our riders and, and cheer for them as they leave in the morning and, and again as they return in the evening. Yeah. yeah uh, it's a real special thing, we think. It, I had the impression, you know, given the number of finishers who were from Emporia or Lawrence or, you know, Overland Park, wherever, um, it seems like it's the sort of thing that, like, you know, the AIDS ride has been some other places in that it has inspired people to either up the riding or become a cyclist who might not otherwise have been doing stuff. Is that true to your experience? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've, I've gone through and I've gotten some stats and, and there's still some more I want to get, but one that uh, is very applicable here is um, of the 2,019 people that participated in Dirty Kansas, 216 of them were from Emporia. And that's one in 10 riders were from this hometown. And uh, I got to thinking it could exist somewhere else, but I'm sure not aware of it. I'd like to know of another event that has that type of hometown participation. And so to take it a step further, like you were saying, the state of Kansas um, was nearly 50% representation in the event. Nearly one out of every two was from the state of Kansas. And I think that would be an all-time high for us as well. So absolutely, this event has not only become a hometown pride, but a statewide pride. And I think um, folks are picking up the bike that have never ridden before, and those that ride have understood this is something they need to cross off the bucket list. So, well, and Dirty Kansas has has fueled uh, an entire cycling culture um, here in Emporia. Uh, Ten years ago, th there weren't a handful of people who who rode, mm -hmm. and uh, as Leland just shared, you know, over 200 from right here in a town of 25,000 people. Uh, there were over 200, what did you say, 250? 216. Uh, 216 uh, that participated in this event. So, And that's Emporia's zip code, not just the surrounding area. Yeah, if, you look, at a, if you look at a 10, 15 mile radius, there'd be 350 people probably. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it, it's been an amazing transformation uh, in the last 10 years, what we've seen happening here in, in Emporia. Uh, it's actually become a cycling destination. We have people uh, you know, from four states away uh, driving here on any given weekend to ride our gravel roads. <laughs> Man, you could have events virtually quarterly and, and really do well with that. <laughs> we could, yeah. In, in all of our spare time, we'll, we'll start. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I want to ask you, um, you know, I mean, there are so many things about the event that, you know, I didn't just like, I respect it. You know, I, I really respected how you did stuff and I respected the rationale. Um, all that said, the thing that most blew me away was, you know, I get down the finishing chute, <laughs> I slam on my brakes because I was in a full sprint uh, and I look up and who's there but you, Jim. Um, and you guys were out there the entire day, shaking hands, giving hugs, greeting people as they finished. You know, there are a whole lot of really fine cycling events out there. I've done a bunch of them. I've done events that, you know, I absolutely need to do again. 
I've never done an event in my life where the organizer was standing there to greet me and welcome me home. What the hell? Um, it's not just that you do it, but that it takes so long. It's such a, a big piece of the day when I'm sure there are other there are other demands on you guys. Um, so how long have you been doing that? And what was it that made you go, you know, I'm going to be there to greet everybody? Uh in 2006, our first year, we had 34 riders and everyone received a welcome home. Uh, we had over 2,000 riders. Uh, everyone received a welcome home. That's, we just feel it's the right thing to do. And uh, that's just, that's, we do it because it's the right thing to do. They, they've earned that. Yeah, whether they've ridden 200 miles or 25 miles, uh, they, they've earned a welcome back to employee. That you know, yeah, I, I mean, everything I see about your event is just so amazing, so well done. You know, in some places, you know, not better than everybody else, but it's that finish that really sets you apart. Uh, sure, the course sets you apart, absolutely. Um, but the thing that I just can't get out of my head and the thing I keep talking to everybody about, you know, people ask me, well, what was the surface like? You know, was it really that much slower? I was like, dude, they were there to greet everybody when I got home. And it's funny because I realize I'm talking about this thing and people don't appreciate it the way I do because they haven't experienced it. You know, they want to talk about the thing that they feel like they've got some understanding of, riding a road bike on dirt. Um, and so it's, it's a funny sort of thing that I... One of my very favorite features of this event is something that maybe doesn't translate all that well. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, to Jim's point earlier, not only have they earned it, but uh, Jim and I personally have also ridden the Dirty Kansas 200 in the early years when it was a much smaller event. And we have an intimate understanding of what all of these participants have gone through. And um, maybe not everyone thinks the same as us, but by golly, after riding 200 miles, I sure want a hug. I might not have known it when I started and set out for the day, but it just feels right. And um, to the point you're making, I don't think a lot of people can understand it until they've gone through every emotion possible and reached that finish line and, and see us standing there and they're like, thank you. Thank you for being here. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just, it's really something. Uh, I, I really dug that part of it. And um, it's, it's the sort of thing that as I talk to other people who were doing it for the first time, they had the same reaction. Um, not to dwell on that, but, you know, on to the course. How much does the course change from year to year? Well, we, uh, we had, in the past, we've typically changed the route every two years. Um, uh, and uh, I don't really know exactly how we fell into that pattern. I guess it's because... Uh, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy, a lot of time to create a course. Uh, we kind of want to reuse it <laughs> one more time so that we don't have to go through that entire uh, painful process every year. Um, but uh, of course there's, there's certain sections that get used every year. I mean, there's, there's some hills or some river crossings or some sections that are just too good not to use but uh, we change it up every couple of years um, try to keep it fresh try to um, 
you know, gives some everybody something different to look at. Um, but um, yeah, in the early years, it was a, the the second year I think was born somewhat out of redemption. Um, right. You know, the finish rates historically were much lower than what we saw this year. And, um, you know, if you look at the inverse, we had an 85 finish, 85 percent finish, 15 not. Well, one year we had a 19 percent finish rate. So it was nearly the opposite. And so that second year was all we heard a lot of people saying, well, gosh, I want another crack at that. I want another crack at that that course that we just did. And um, so then it kind of fell into this two year pattern. I don't think we can say today what will the future holds, but I don't suspect we'll continue to see a two-year pattern forever. I think we're getting more dialed in the routes that we develop, and logistically speaking, as the event is much larger, some routes simply don't work because of logistical reasons. So um, what the pattern will be, I don't think we know, but uh, to Jim's point, you'll always see some, some similar features out there that can't be missed. Sure, sure. I, yeah, just absolutely remarkable. Um, you know, there are a whole lot of events I've done where it's like, okay, cool, I've done that. What am I doing next year? And yeah, currently next year is like, oh, I really hope this doesn't conflict with Wente again. <laughs> Missing a, a local mountain bike race here killed me, but at the same time, it was like, oh, I'm doing this amazing thing. Oh, I really need to be cloned. Uh, <laughs> so, but... uh if not next year, I'm definitely going to be back. Uh, I don't, you know, who knows what my neck will say about this, but uh, discomfort aside, um, I need I need to feel that feeling of, of finishing the 200. And it's a, a real point of curiosity for me whether or not I could get in before nightfall. Well, we'd, we'd love to have you back, and we'd love to give you that hug at the finish line. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for such a wonderful experience, um, and uh, you, you've certainly made a believer out of me. You've got something very special. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that, Patrick. Leland, Jim, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. You know, I think my favorite part of the interview and in talking with them came from when Jim said, you know, of greeting everyone at the finish, that it just seemed like the right thing to do. I think that speaks to the character, not just of the event, but of the town as well. And, you know, for everything everybody says about the, the Flint Hills and, you know, how great those roads are, how wonderful the event is, the fact that they're there at the finish to greet everybody was just really mind-blowing to me. I just can't get over it. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it's to the degree that there are aspects of that event that would cause me to recommend it to other people. That really is one of the things there's something very special about finishing that event. I've finished plenty of hard events, but to have the organizers there ready to shake your hand or give you a hug and you know, they hand you your finisher's glass. It, it really puts a, a nice, you know, exclamation point at the end of the event. And it's just, there's something about it now that's just in my blood, and I really do want to go back and do the 200. Yeah, the guy who doesn't want to do any events over 100 miles now wants to go do 200. Go figure. <laughs> Sounds like you're a fan. Hottie, how about you? Is this on your uh, is this on your bucket list? Well, it's not only because it's really out of my, you know, it it's 
my benchmark, my threshold for time on the bike really runs out about six or seven hours. That's when I start getting a little, I start losing interest a little bit. So it's, it's Hmm. beyond that, but I am, I'm so intrigued. You know, after hearing Patrick and the interviews and I've independently gone and watched, I mean, Jim and, and Leland, they have a little video podcast too. That's fun to watch and check out. And I do that once in a while. I'm really intrigued by the terrain there, the conditions, the preparation. So, and, and the spirit, like you said, Patrick, the spirit of that community, like Leadville, just seems like such a draw. So there's, there's part of me that's going, maybe I should check it out one day. You and me both. Yeah. Well, there's a video last year that uh, Salsa Cycles produced called I Ride for Her. And it focused on the 2015 edition of the race and, you know, interviews a bunch of finishers and, you know, covers uh, Yuri Hoswald's win. And Mm -hmm. I defy anyone to get through that video without tears. It's really powerful and moving. And so we've actually posted that on RKP. Yep, second that motion. Uh, definitely uh, gave me some chills, knowing Yuri and his wonderful wife, Vanessa, a little bit at least. Uh, that was that was quite a, quite a tribute. And yeah, makes you think uh, real positive things about that race. What do you say we shift on to the news and maybe something a tad less positive? I wonder if there is a cyclist in the whole universe who has not seen that crit crash video. Hottie, you've seen it, right? I Yeah, I've watched it a number of times because I know at least one of the writers who was involved, uh, John Wall, super writer here locally in the South Bay. Patrick is very familiar with him, too. We all know him. We all love him. Uh, good guy. He's had his ups and downs over life. He won't, he'll openly admit that to you. He's battled his own demons, but has always turned to the bike and always been you know around to help others. Unfortunately, over the weekend, <laughs> you know, we have the state crit championship in June. First of all, it's in Southern California. You figure, uh, no brainer, right? We're going to have dry conditions. No, it started raining in June in Southern California. <laughs> so they had a wet state crit uh, down in an area called Ladera Ranch, which is um, Orange County, Southern Orange County. And uh, John was entered in the 45-plus race. Um, and early on in that race, uh, we're not talking about a battle for the sprint here, the last 100 meters or anything. And there was a crash, and John was involved. Um, there was video of that crash, um, and obviously Facebook and social media now blowing up over who's to blame over this thing, and a lot of that blame is going towards the, the rider who uh, made contact with John. Nonetheless, Patrick, what John ended up on the ground and, and seriously hurt here, didn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's in the ICU, or at least last I knew he was in the ICU. You know, he's got a broken collarbone, broken scapula, uh, some broken ribs, bleeding on the brain. No, this was a horrible crash. And, you know, to anyone who's done any amount of bike racing, you it's difficult to mistake that move where someone gives someone a bump at the bar. This was not a hip check. Uh, this fellow, James Doyle, gave him a bump at the bar. And because the, the course was wet and, you know, it was this is Orange County. We're talking super smooth asphalt. Um, you know, nobody would ever run have any reason to run a tire bigger than 23 in Orange County. And that front wheel just went right out from under him. And, Hmm. you know, it's, you can see his head hit. Oh, it's awful. I mean, and yeah, John, 
Let's say he's a fiery individual. I've locked horns with John. I've also known him 20 years. And it's one of those things, you know, we've had our differences and we've moved past it. Uh, I support that guy unconditionally. He's a good dude. You know, like Hadi said, he's taught a lot of people. He's been of service to an awful lot of people. He's been absolutely indispensable at the ADT event center uh, at the track there. And I mean, this is a guy who, you know, at one point in his racing career, uh, was he was doing 600 miles a week, you know, racing at a high national level, went to the Olympic trials. This is a guy who knows what's going on. And, you know, when, when some people wanted to defend Doyle and say that uh, Walsh took him into the curb, uh, no, this guy was riding up the gutter. And if Walsh wants to put someone in the curb, you'll know it. Yeah. Um, and I the just, reason everyone, the reason everyone is, knows uh, a really tragic thing. There's a GoFundMe that's been set up for John's, uh, uh, John's medical expenses. Um, and for anyone out there listening, who's ever known John, I certainly encourage you request implore that you, you think about giving him a little something. He's a yep. good dude. And, um, I'm really saddened by this. Yeah, the reason everyone... So are there any consequences uh, for Doyle? <laughs> uh, word is that USAC is not planning to take any action. Um, there are an awful lot of people who are talking about uh, uh, a civil suit, and that certainly makes hmm. sense. I mean, the fact that there's good video uh, evidence of what went down, I, I, think, uh, I think he ought to be concerned for his future. Um, and, you know, this is a guy who has a, a reputation in Southern California for being a hothead. Uh, there's a story of him taking out a junior deliberately um, and having exceptionally rude things to say to people, not just in races, but also on training rides. The team that Hadi and I used to be members of, uh, Big Orange, uh, you know, we had one rule. There's only one rule. Don't be a meal anatomical member. And he violated... By which you mean uh, dick, well, right? Yeah. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, and he managed to violate that one rule badly enough that they kicked him off the team. Guys don't get kicked off this team. You know, they're, they're coached into learning the ways of the Peloton. You know, and it's, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to found that team. And they're doing a great job these days. And, you know, to get kicked off that team... Oh my gosh, it takes a lot. Wow. So um, let's go ahead and leave that there. Uh, be interesting to see where that goes uh, from here. One final shout over. out. Just, you know, anybody sure. who's in contact with John, you know, wish him our best. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen Get to better, that John. for sure. Mm -hmm. Let's head over to Oregon. Oregon. Uh, I understand that they are considering taxing bike sales and this from a state that does not have sales tax that's right uh oregon might be the first state to introduce a specific tax on new bicycles if a massive transportation bill is passed within the uh, 298 pages of recommendations for improving oregon's roads and revenues is a mention of a three to five percent tax on sales of new bicycles which would be implemented next year the tax could bring about a half billion dollars in revenue to the state in 2018. Oregon to be the only state to have a 
new bike sale tax. It currently has no sales tax in the state of Oregon, so you can see why they might be digging for revenue anywhere. The tax would only apply to adult bikes costing more than $500. Uh, but for the owners of small bike shops, that tax could mean the difference between someone buying a performance bike or opting for a cheaper model. The bill, or at least this part of the bill, was written uh, by Senator Lee Beyer, a Democrat from Springfield, Oregon. He serves on the Joint Committee on Transportation and Preservation. Um, he said this. He felt that the bicycles ought to contribute, bicycles or bicyclists and their wallets, I guess, ought to contribute to the system. Bicycle owners ought to contribute to the entire system, irrespective of the fact that most of them also own a car. That's according to uh, Senator Beyer. So a tax in a state that has no sales tax on the sale of new bikes, over 500 bucks uh, in Oregon. I guess the idea is the money would you know, be funneled back to transportation infrastructure. And guys, if you felt this before, I have, at least in Southern California, that there's a lot of this that, you know, you cyclists, you run around, but you don't, and you use our roads and you run our stop signs, but you don't pay for anything here. And all you do is ask for bike lanes and ask for this. I mean, there's that sentiment out there. I'm just surprised it would come out of the state of Oregon. If that's <laughs> yeah. indeed what the motivation <laughs> yeah. behind this bill. Yeah, that is one thing that I honestly just don't understand. I mean, are, are there people who think that as cyclists, we just otherwise aren't paying taxes? I'm not going to, you know, th this this is such an you know, old and tired argument that it's not even worth rehashing. But if that tax were t uh, specifically pinned on uh, creating additional bicycle-specific infrastructure, better bike lanes, more bike lanes, dividers between roads and bike lanes, I would say tax away. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, but if it is, it, we're taxing you because you are not uh, buying or you are not paying your fair share of the roads, I think it's a pretty old argument that doesn't stand up in any measure. So, yeah. I've had enough of it. <laughs> and they have to earmark the bill. That's what they have to do. Or pull it out, yeah. pull this language out, and make it a separate bill, and then make sure that money goes right to bicycle infrastructure. But I think lumping it into a larger transportation bill, Patrick, I think legislatively that is trouble. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there there are uh, several organizations within cycling that are lobbying hard against this to try to show them, you know, that it will uh, it'll hurt bicycle sales, that will hurt small businesses, um, and it will hurt the gains that they've made in terms of getting people uh, out of cars, you know, and commuting by bicycle instead. It's just really regressive. Mm -hmm. All right. And then one last piece of news. And Patrick, I understand that uh, the former head of the UCI has passed. Yeah, Hein Verbruggen. He was 75. Uh, I didn't know this, but he had leukemia, um, and he passed away uh, late on Tuesday. Um, he was president of the UCI from 91 to 2005. I was not a fan of his. Uh, I thought that mm. the UCI really suffered under his quote-unquote leadership. Um, but, you know, he was a human being and he loved cycling. So he was one of us. And so I'm really sorry to hear of his passing. And, you know, for those who were close to him and loved him, uh, to see someone you care about go through leukemia, gosh, that must not have been easy. Yeah. Don't want to wish that on anyone. Well, let's move on to a happier thing. And I would say that is the Paceline Picks. Uh, 
One of my favorite sections of this show, uh, to be honest, I always like the weird things that come out of it. What you got, Patrick? So of late, I've been riding the uh, Shimano R785DI2 hydraulic levers. And uh, I've been riding them a lot, um, a lot more than I have in the past. And I was thinking about it just the other day. It's like, oh my gosh, I love these levers. As someone who has used uh, integrated brake shift levers for 20 odd years at this point, it's funny for me to think that I would actually get excited about a particular lever. And it's even funnier hmm. to me to think that I'm excited about a lever that is on the verge of being replaced. So the R785, this is the DI2 hydraulic lever. And this is a non-series uh, non lever. So they came out with this so that you could pair it with either an Altegra group or a Dura-Ace group. Um, it went, and it would just kind of fit. But if you notice on the lever, it doesn't say Altegra or Dura-Ace. Um, and it's about to be mm. supplanted uh, on Dura-Ace with the 9150 lever. But they're running a little late in delivering this. And so there are bikes out there uh, with this on them. And the Allied that I'm riding right now, the Alpha All Road, has these levers on it. And, you know, I... It's the first time I've really gotten to do, you know, a couple hundred miles on this on these levers in kind of, you know, less than wonderful circumstances. And the amount of control that I have and the ease of the shifting and everything, <laughs> it's just kind of amazing. When I go down to the garage, I find myself sort of steering toward that allied ahead of other bikes that I need to finish reviews of. <laughs> and it, it is in part because I'm just... Uh, when I'm riding on dirt roads on a road bike, I really, really love those levers. Um, and it's just amazing to me that I would actually have a strong emotional attachment to a lever. Um, I'm, I'm just a geek. You're weird. I you know what? You're, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> My paceline pick is the Sprinter Van. Uh, not just because I have spent the last, I don't know what, two, two and a half days in a sprinter van. Uh, this was the SBR cycle sprinter van and it was the Mercedes one. Although the Mercedes versus the Dodge sprinter van, as far as I can tell, they're exactly the same. And I don't even mean necessarily sprinter vans proper. Um, you know, Nissan, Ford, they have big cargo vans, but I think that there is so much about this big rolling box that is super attractive and is making such a different to, uh, difference to cyclists. Uh, without sprinter vans, would there be this uh, the mobile bike shop craze that has happened in the mobile bike service that has that, that has recently happened? Would uh, you see so many? companies with these setups where they have a can hold a huge number of bikes and all the equipment and for us we had four people and all of the stuff we needed for a four-person race for 500 plus miles and with a kuat rack off the back we were just golden um they you know they're not arrow but they get good gas mileage they're not super fast but they are fast enough for the freeway and the Sprinter van is a cyclist's dream vehicle. Uh, 
it's probably pretty obvious that, that I want one pretty bad. <laughs> I would love to build one out for myself. Very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how that one vehicle has really inspired people, you know, toward van life and whatnot. I, I know so many people yeah. who have built them out as campers. Um, mm-hmm. People who I think would never have considered buying a motorhome. And yet you, you see these conversions. Uh, there are a couple people here in town with them, you know. And uh, I'm a little envious, but with my family of four, I, I would not want all four of us inside one of those. No, <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, but I do get it. I, you know, I dig yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not necessarily even talking about as, you know, a family for camping vehicle, but for someone who is a cyclist, it allows you to put your stamp of how you like to ride and the gear that you like to have and what kind you want for that and totally make your own custom vehicle, right? A vehicle that actually matches the way that you ride, where you like to ride, whether you're a roadie who wants, you know, all your different road bikes in there or a mountain bike setup. It's, you can do anything with it. So, yep, it's a, it's a paceline pick that I am pretty confident that a lot of you out there would also pick. Hadi, how about you? Well, I was recently exchanging emails with my brother-in-law about riding in technical terrain. He is uh, much better than me, so I'm always looking for tips and encouragement. But deep down, I know I have a mind block when it comes to true trail flow. And like I told my brother-in-law, I'm okay with that. Because at heart, I am an endurance guy. Not dirty cans endurance like Patrick, but 100-mile endurance. Four to six hours is my sweet spot. I can do eight or nine if need be. I used to have actually a much shorter attention span. 45-minute crits were my thing. A two- to three-hour road race was eternity. Then one day I was out on my mountain bike and ran into another rider at the top of Sullivan Ridge, a popular climb in the Santa Monica Mountains. He'd asked, had I ever done uh, this ride or that, most of them long. And I said, no, but they sounded cool. And how do I get involved? He suggested jumping into the Santa Monica 100. At the time, the ride was fairly new. The contact to join up was one Tony Manzella, a local stud on the dirt and road who rode for Helen's Bike Shop. I reached out, he gave me the details, and without a clue of how hard 100 miles could be on a mountain bike, I showed up. It turned into one of the hardest, yet most satisfying days on the bike I had had to date. I don't remember much about the ride other than downing two McDonald's hamburgers about three quarters way through the ride, (laughs) but I do remember an older gentleman who did the whole thing with us. I later learned that it was Tony's dad, Rich Manzella. Now that Facebook has come out or come into our lives, I've been able to learn a little more about the Manzellas. Tony and his father share many hours on the bike, knocking out cool, mostly long events. This year they did Eroica together. The Santa Monica 100 continues to this day. We just did one this past weekend. And although the ride is shorter and Tony no longer takes a leadership role, at age 67, Rich Manzella, his dad, still makes the call. Had the pleasure of finishing the latest edition with him. We uh, descended Sullivan Ridge together, the same fire road where he got his son riding mountain bikes. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, first off, Father's Day is just around the corner. It seemed appropriate to pay tribute to Mr. Manzella, my dad, Patrick, Fatty, all the dads. But it also occurred to me that Rich Manzella is what the hip-hop community might call an OG. I know that sounds a bit street for a former letter carrier and a guy who just loves to ride his mountain bike. 
But Rich Manzella is one of the guys you could say got it started. An original gangsta in the local endurance mountain bike scene. It was Rich who took his son into the Santa Monica's, who in turn started creating locally produced epics and inviting people like me to come along. Would I have found endurance off-road riding without them? Probably, but I'm glad it worked out the way it did. So my Paceline pick goes to all the dads and all the original long-distance mountain bike gangsters. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic tribute. Really like that one. Thanks so much, Potty. Uh, so what's coming up on RKP? Well, uh, just today I... I published my last two posts on Dirty Kanza, one called Connection, which was uh, about a family that uh, was there at the finish to greet Yuri Hoswald as he crossed the line. And uh, also the video that I mentioned earlier that Salsa Cycles produced, I write for her, I posted that, even though we don't normally uh, post uh, promotional videos made by uh, bike companies. But in this case, because I think it's more of an homage to the event, I decided, you know, this thing's so cool and so moving and so well done, we're gonna post it. And so that's there. Uh, I just re recently reviewed uh, a, um, a Stages power meter crank, and I've become a big fan of having power, even though I am not a disciplined uh, trainer the way you are, uh, Fatty, or even you, Hottie. Um, so, but I, I still like using that. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. And I believe that is a wrap for this episode. Once again, subscribe, rate us, review us in all the places that you normally would. And if you say something that we like, I think I'm going to put that as a new filter for <laughs> uh, our podcast reviews. I'm tired of people slamming on me, man. <laughs> well, anyway. Maybe, or slam on us constructively for crying out loud. For Patrick, for Hottie, I'm Fatty, and you've been listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>